what's the truth and what's true. What's true for you could be perception, and the truth is the facts. Hello, welcome to Heart Inspired, a show dedicated to highlighting individuals in their pursuit of authentic leadership, peeling back the layers to uncover the roadblocks they face, explore some of the actions they take, and what keeps them on track to continue their journey to be the best version of themselves. It is my hope that you will be inspired by their stories and gain some insights to help you in your own journey. I'm your host, Michelle Delgado. In this series, we are going to uncover some important areas that impact our lives, both professionally and personally. At some time or another, we may be impacted by imposter syndrome. So how do we recover? Who can help us? How do we support others who may be impacted? Let's explore. Hi, everyone. How are you? Everybody's doing well? Great. Yes. Great. Okay, great. So this is episode <laughs> five, and we're really excited to have all of you together. And you're just meeting each other for the first time. I think it's pretty exciting that nobody knew each other. It was like a big mystery before we started today. I'm just going to go around and just ask some random questions and see how we do. And then we're going to do a little uh, poll to see how those answers turn out. Let's start with the first question. So I'm going to ask Lisa this question. What are the strengths that you look for in a leader? I primarily look for empathy and the ability to connect um, on a level where, you know, sort of tell that they're listening so that there's this level of trust right away. Very cool. Anybody else have something that they look for in a leader that might be a little bit different or add to that? I think um, you've hit right on it, Lisa, with the empathy. That's the first word that comes to mind for me with a good leader. I also think just the ability to build trust quickly, to be able to influence regardless of the role or the topic. I think that building trust as a foundation is such an important part about being a leader. Michelle, I would say a builder of people. A builder of people. Yeah. Uh, I think a good leader always builds others and creates successful folks in his organization or organization. So I think a leader is always looking to see how can they maximize any one individual and make them into a success. And Michelle, I'll add just yeah. great answers as well. But my time in the military was about connecting with each person individually, not necessarily picking one out and building them up, but the ability to have empathy and connect with each person in your group or organization. With that, Megan, what can you say? Is there something particular that somebody might have said that they admire about your leadership that resonated with you and stays with you today? A a person that I've worked with for several years now uh, said that I'm the most compassionate leader they've worked with in their career. And that to me really hit home because that's what I strive for. I care about my team on a very personal level and I want them to succeed and grow, uh, but I just also care about them as human beings just in mm. general. And so I was really happy to hear that. that made me oh, that's really awesome. That was a proud moment, huh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One that definitely sticks. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else have something that they can add to that? Yeah, I mean, I can add one of my um, the gentleman who I still use as a coach. He was the, he hired me at a company. He said that I have the ability to create a safe space within my team so that people can be heard, and I oh, I, love that. I carry that with me really everywhere. Oh, that's awesome! How about you, Keith? I've yet to people lead, which is interesting. Um, really? You know, I, yeah, I can call myself a lone wolf, but I think what I maybe what I impart on others is like, hey. I'm going to work just as hard as you are, you know, if we do this as a team. Now, does that mean that, you know, I'm their leader? Not necessarily. But if if you show people that you're putting in the work kind of lead by example situation, you know, they usually tend to, to kind of grasp onto you and, and follow along. 
That doesn't mean I'm trying to be the top guy every single time, but I, I think that's why I love working in a team environment myself. So Keith, you mentioned that's interesting. I didn't realize you had not let folks no, before. I've never had a direct report in my career. Is that something you're striving for? Uh, eventually, right? In our in our episode that we talked about, I attended the United States Naval Academy, right? And people yeah. call it a, le- a leadership laboratory. And, mm-hmm. you know, they really do build people out to go into the military. And we just had Memorial Day to be able to be ready to lead. I'm glad that I got all those that training and kind of like that discipline around it. But in my career, it kind of didn't seem like it fit me as a as an individual, right? So I think that like Megan and, and Lisa talked about empathy. I'm a huge empath. Sometimes with leadership, you don't want to step on people's toes. You don't want to delegate authority. You don't want to uh, make people feel like, hey, I'm telling you to do something, go do it. So yeah. I mean, eventually, sure. I, I think I'd love to have a team of, at some point and grow that. Either I will say though, um, being a another empath, I completely understand. Uh, sometimes it can be a real struggle as a leader because you feel very personally what your team is feeling. But I also think it just makes you a really good leader because you can connect with them on that level and, and build that trust with them and a personal relationship that I think associates really respect yeah. and, and appreciate. Yeah. So Ash, what's the best advice you've been given early in your years when you became a leader? I don't know if it was advice given or I was shown the way to do it, right? So I was lucky in the sense, and I didn't realize at that time, but I had a mentor very early on in my life. And this individual kind of guided me through everything by example, right? So he didn't say, this is the way to do it. This is the answer to the question, but he just led and I followed, right? I was in my 20s. I was very impressionable. Anything you taught me, I probably filed it in my head somewhere, not realizing it was happening to me. And then years go by, and then all of a sudden you start to replicate those same tendencies, right? Almost like a child with a parent, right? A parent, your child sees a parent, the parent behaves a certain way, the child replicates. I think in a career, it's almost the same way. If you have the right mentor early on, you can almost have that child adult-like experience in your career where you're just replicating everything that you were taught. So for me, it wasn't necessarily that anybody told me something. It was just by example. To this day, I, you know, I lean on that example and everything I teach and I talk about with any people in the organization, whether it's directly reporting into me or not, I don't really care. It's always a message that comes from that place in my life. Lisa, I'm going to throw that question same to you. So in retail leadership, at least in early retail leadership, especially in the 80s, I felt that leadership was really transactional. Leaders were transactional. And so there there really wasn't a lot of, of that. I did not have a mentor early on. The first person who ever sort of gave me very direct advice was my district manager at Williams-Sonoma who said, you know, you can choose your team. It just clicked. You can literally decide who's with you to support the vision that you have to get you where you need to go. And you can be incredibly strategic about that. Usually managers just sort of, you know, they have, they have who they have and they can develop who they can develop, but you can actually be a little bit more strategic than that. I think that's, that's really cool. What Lisa just said. And, you know, I'll just kind of add that. I think it's also important that when you have that vision, not always do the people in their current roles fit the roles that you have in your mind. Sometimes it's about discovering their strengths. And that takes some patience and some time, right? So every single person in the world has a strength. They have it, right? If you as a leader don't feel that they have that strength, it's because you haven't done enough homework and you haven't spent enough time to figure that strength out. And then once you figure it out, you have to place them in the right spot 
so that they can take that strength and maximize it. Whatever their weaknesses are, you have to protect it and you have to walk them through. And I think that many people don't just do that. It's just, you know, it's like, oh, easy come, easy go. You know, let's move fast forward, fast forward. But they don't realize that they're dealing with people, right? Yeah. And people are humans at the end of the day. Is that a thing? People are humans. People are humans. And you need to put the effort in it. I wanted to really add just that in terms of my not being a people leader and not, I mean, say never getting the opportunity to, right? Like obviously something I want, I would want to do, but there was a fear there too, right? The fear of failure like anybody else and wanting to make sure you develop those right people. But when I said before from the academy and the military, they taught us to meet with everybody individually so you can build people. But what I learned was when you get there as a new young leader, find the person who knows the most. And that's that person might be salty. They might be disgruntled. You know, you got to be careful of that. But the people who really know the most and they've been there a while and they understand the business, get in touch with them. So you connect with that person and have them kind of as your right hand person. So one of the things that as a leader that I was always known for, I don't know why, maybe because they thought I was tough enough, but I really was soft inside, is that I was given clients who were ready to walk out the door and I was given employees who were disgruntled. They would become my greatest employees because it was tough love, but there was a lot of trust there. And clients, I was able to re-sign contracts because I would turn it around. Sometimes it's just your strengths, and then what are your pitfalls? You know, what do you need to stretch in order to do? So in order to get that job done. Just speak to what you just said. And it's interesting that you got given those types of of employees and then those types of groups, right? And those types of clients. And I don't know if anybody here agrees with me, but I'm just going to say it. I don't think that was by, not by design, right? I think that was by design. And we've talked about this before about- yeah race and sex, you know, sexism in, in business and leadership. And it seems that sometimes the, the gatekeepers or the folks who make those decisions tend to put people of color and women in, in uh, you know, in areas or businesses or silos or groups or with clients that are just not happy or just not good or not performing well. And that's I our test. In my situation, a lot of times I had a successful track record. So now, then it became, okay, we know she's going to turn it around. Right. So it was, it, it actually was a great learning tool for me to be able to build those relationships because it, it was harder to do. Yeah. It wasn't just going to be like, oh, here, sign a three-year deal. No problem. Everything's great. Megan, anything to add to that? I think the most that I learned early in my career as a people manager was what not to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Just from experience and exposure of some managers early in my career, learning the behaviors that I saw in them. And knowing that I didn't want to be that kind of leader Mm. really shaped the kind of leader I wanted to be in my future. And um, I think we talked about this, Michelle, in our episode Mm. about radical candor. I've learned a lot through that book and I really resonate a lot with it. If you all haven't read it yet, highly recommend just, I really feel that it's best to genuinely and authentically care about your team but also to challenge them directly. But if you build that trust, like I was saying before, that foundation of trust and caring, authentically caring, not just fake caring, then you can (laughs) challenge directly, right? You can say, actually, I don't think that this is the right path. And then in the same way, they can reciprocate. They trust you enough to be able to push back on you and say, actually, I do think that's the right way. And then you have a healthy debate and you get to the best solution together. So yeah, that's really the, what I've learned most, I think, in in my leadership skills. I have a question. How do you care about somebody that is a stranger to you who you see Monday through Friday, nine to five, 
like how do you do that as a leader like how do you transition to caring at that level because i think people say that you have to care but how do you do that i would say just initially it doesn't happen immediately right you can't automatically care for someone until you get to know them but i i take it onto myself to get to know them on a personal level as quickly as I can, as much as they're open to sharing and comfortable, right? But they probably think I'm very annoying with all the questions I ask, but I want to know them on a personal level. And that caring just sort of develops organically and authentically for me. It always has. I'm just a people person, right? And um, I I care about people in my life, regardless of who they are or what role they play. So it's just always happened very naturally for me listening to them. You can listen automatically. I mean, you just, you walk into the group and you just listen to what they have to say. Her nat- The natural curiosity, I think that that is so key. So you just ask questions and then you follow up. Those are the two things that I would say. Ash, I will add that business can be very transactional, right? And you don't want it to be emotional. And if you've ever been told it's just business, that is part of life. However, making those connections with your people and making those connections with your team can create lifelong bonds, right? So it's like the how is really spending time with people, asking questions, finding out about their their life outside of the, you know, the nine to five. And then you start to build that, right? There's people that I'm still in touch with from 10, 15 years ago, right? I'm sure we all have folks that we hopefully connected with at a job that maybe we left and we're still able to either text or reach out to via LinkedIn or however and ask how they're doing, right? So you want to be able to build those relationships over time. I'm going to throw a little monkey wrench into that because I've been in that situation where I've asked a question or asked questions and that person is not like a hard shell. They're they're not going to answer or they feel like you're being too intrusive. Some of the things that I've done is just, okay, let's do lunch or coffee. Well, how do you like your coffee? And, you know, sometimes I'm a foodie. So whoever's a foodie, if you can connect on that level, people have a story, a memory that's attached to certain foods. Like what's your favorite food? Where did you have it? Where did you travel to? And in the travel industry, it's very easy to ask those questions, but those surface level questions can help crack that shell because otherwise some people are very standoffish and, you know, I don't know you let's leave work here. And my personal life is my personal life, especially now with people who are working hybrid. It's a lot of work-life balance. We see the cat running across the, you know, you see the dog, you see the children, whatever you are already a lot in their personal life. So boundaries, I guess we can say. Michelle, I'll just say real quickly that my last role was two years of fully remote. I met my boss and I met two other people from my team. You are correct in terms of it being over Zoom. There's a bit less of a connection there that, mm-hmm. you know, not to say that I couldn't reach out to those folks, but I'd say folks from before um, I have more of a connection to. But what you talked about was something I pride myself on, right? It's the networking, it's the conversation, it's the active listening, as as Lisa was talking about. Actively listening so you can find that little nugget to then yeah. ask a question about it and then have get, find your way in. You know, you don't have to be invasive, but it's just conversationally listening, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it happens right away, right? We can't no. expect it to be automatic. It happens over time. And, and I feel, so I work in technology and I work with a lot of software engineers and a lot of really incredibly smart people who are highly technical and maybe don't actually like opening up very much about themselves, not just generally stating, but you know, some of them don't. Initially getting into technology, I found it, I was almost like offended. <laughs> so I'm like, why don't you want to talk to me? Why don't you want to know me? I want to know you. Uh, but I think I learned pretty quickly that just different people have different preferences and personalities, and you just have to get to know them and let them open up to you on their own time. And, and like you were saying, Michelle and Keith, 
finding the ways to connect with them on things that they want to connect on and just let them sort of drive that. All right. So we're ready to have some fun. I'm going to do a poll here. I'm going to read off some questions. How important is being noticed or having status to you? Is this like an airline status question or is no. it like... <laughs> is this I can call a you know, restaurant and get scheduled? No, important. It's good status. to be part of decision making. Two is very important. Status keeps me motivated. Three, not very important. I prefer the quality of the relationship versus the status. Or four, not important. I just like to know what's going on. I would say choice number three today and and now that I'm later in my career, not very important. I prefer the quality of the relationship versus status. But I will say earlier in my career, it was definitely very important to me to be noticed, to be recognized, to be publicly rewarded and recognized for my accomplishments. And that has become less important to me as I've grown and developed as a person, I think, in my career. Megan, I love that you said that because I'm I'm putting choice three, but I think I'm more a choice two by by my nature, right? So early in my career, it was all about the who's the company, you know, what do you do, what's your what's your job title, and all that. And then getting the three four years of out on my own, it was like it does nobody cares. Like it's like the world doesn't really care who no. you, what you do. <laughs> be yourself and be happy with you first. And then people will figure that out. And that light will kind of come out of you regardless. Now, going back into the real world and back into the finance world, I'm a little I'm curious as the, you know, I it, it really doesn't matter to me. I still want to do a great job, right? Everybody does. I think as we get older, maybe, I, I don't know, you all can attest to this. As, as you get older, it kind of doesn't sit. Watch that like, age stuff, Keith. I relax. I'm not that. trying to age anybody out. We're all similar. In, <laughs> we're all similar in group, right? I'm just saying that. I'm 25 again, so I don't know what you're talking about. Forever, yeah. Forever. Right, right. But I think as, as we get older, that changes, right? With the importance yeah. of family, of life, of lifestyle, of what you want to do and, and be happy with. And so many people when we're young in our 20s, it's all about who who are you, what do you do, where do you work, and how much do you make? And that's that's not so really true. important. So all right, true. Lisa, how about you? Are you one, two, three, or four on that one? Uh, I mean, sort of like everybody else, I see I, I see myself in three. However, what's interesting about number one is the decision-making part. Yes. I like to be part of the decision-making process. So I don't necessarily need to have a, a title in the room, but I, I like to be included if it's something that I feel that I can contribute to. And oddly with the status thing, I have to tell you, so in Amazon, there are levels of managers and most people come in as a four. I happen to have come in as a five. Wow. Try to make it to a six. I didn't think it was important until the other day when someone else made it to a six. And I was like, what about, what about me? me? <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm being really honest with myself, there is, there's some stuff there. How about you, Ash? I'm a choice one person. Choice one? And I think, uh, you know, and it's not, it's not necessarily for me that I think it's important. I think it's important for everybody else in the sense that because you have status, then people behave in a way that allows you to do your job well, serve the needs of the people that you represent, right? So for me, I think that that's the role it plays. All right, we're going on to question number two. When growing up, what role did you play in your group of friends? I was the leader, the decision maker, everyone followed me. Or two, I was the mediator. I helped solve the conflict between everyone. Three, the brain. Everyone looked to me for answers. Or four, the quiet kid. I spoke up when it was needed. 
I'll be choice number one, the leader. I made the decisions as far as what we all did as a friend, as a group of friends, when we did it, how we did it, and everybody just kind of agreed. Now, why doesn't that surprise me? I don't know. Yeah, it's right. weird. Like when I read this, I have to like feel embarrassed that I'm answering the questions, but I'm trying to be honest. Ash is type A as they come, man. I'd love to work with him. He, hey, you know, you know something's gonna get done when that guy's in the room. He's like, Ooh. absolutely. That's why we became friends. It's I love it. I, I'll go. I'd say I was choice number two in terms of the mediator, but it wasn't really solving conflict. It was just making everybody laugh. Right. So the class clown, you know, jokester, whatever, telling stories. And, you know, I would lead when needed to or asked to. But it was more around, hey, man, what are we what are we doing? Where are we going? You know, are we having fun? And that, that was my that was my role. OK. All right. How about you, Lisa? Um, I was also number two. I was definitely the mediator. And it was definitely conflict because I was the <laughs> between different clicks of friends. Oh, well. so I okay. kind of kept them all in line. And you, Megan? I would say either a combination of choice one and choice three, or I'll add another one and say the problem solver. I feel like everybody sort of turned to me to solve their problems and still do. I still get phone calls <laughs> all the time. Um, but that's funny because I've had to switch my style as a leader and as a manager of managers now, where I don't, I'm automatically go to solving their problems, but you can't do that. You really need to help guide them and coach them to empower themselves. And so I've had to really like shift my way of thinking to not always solving. I think we talked about that, Michelle, that do you yep. want me to hear you help you or solve it? I love that. That has been my driving model to make sure that I'm not just constantly trying to yep. solve people's problems. Yeah. I just posted something the other day. I, I wear the name tag. I'm the fixer. And so I want to rip that off and yeah. just say, how can I help you? Or do you need help? This is kind of funny, by the way, because as the leader, I always had to make sure that we had a guy in the room or a girl in the room that was funny. We had needed to have somebody in the room that was the problem solver because there was always be a problem. So I kind of figured out how to like cultivate people and fix the team so that we all stay together for a long time, right? Because yeah. staying together was hard because somebody eventually would do something to mess somebody up. And, you know, I couldn't fix those problems. So I needed somebody that could go come in and, okay, let's solve the problem, right? We're going on to question number three. In any job you've had, what would you say you frequently voice new ideas to suggest ways to improve the quality of work? One, all the time, I let everyone know what I thought. Two, I often speak up when I see there is an opportunity for improvement. Three, sometimes I would try and jump in to solve an issue. And four, never unless asked to help. This really kind of resonated with me because I used to be a number four. I never really felt my contributions could help. Definitely working where I am now, I've moved up to a number two. So anytime where there is improvement to be done, I'm usually, I'm not afraid to, or I challenge myself to make sure that I voice what I, what I know that I know and, and how I can help. Worst they can say is no. I'm, I'm similar to Lisa, so I'll just go after her uh, and say, I think that um, as I've grown in my roles and grown, developed my confidence, I'm constantly looking for ways to improve things and constantly voicing those opinions. And I think, Lisa, it's similar for me that I didn't really always feel comfortable doing that because I didn't know if what I was voicing was sound or came from a place of enough experience to contribute to the conversation. And now I feel like my voice matters, my opinion matters, and people should know it when it counts, right? So this is really weird because this is like happening in reverse between what 
Lisa and Megan said and what I am doing, right? So when I was younger, I used to be one. And as I'm getting older, I'm starting to talk less and say less. And I'm moving from like one to four almost. Like I'm oh, wow. three. I'm at three now. But I used to be two. I, I, I remember those days. And then I know I definitely was one at some point in my life. But I'm, I feel like I'm going from one to four. That's interesting. As you grow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll add Ash, kind of similar, but I was, I'm basically just gone from one to two. And the catalyst behind that is raising your hand too many times isn't always a good thing. Right. So I was always, you know, one to put in my two cents and kind of Megan, what you talked to was, are you putting in two cents that really are saying something or is it just, are you just sounding off because you want to have the attention and, you know, you learn that young in your career that that's not always the best look. So now, you know, I'm more of a two now to where it's like, I'd like to be part of the conversation and give my two cents, but in a more strategic way, instead of just saying, we need to do this, that, and the other. Last question. First work evaluation of the year and your boss gave you negative feedback on your performance. How did you respond? One, I got defensive. Wonder all night what they were talking about. I don't see a problem. I think I crushed it. Two, listen carefully but feel unmotivated, disappointed in your performance. Three, try and understand and seek out ways to improve. Or four, I don't have an opinion one way or the other. I want to open with this because I've had plenty of negative reviews in my career. (laughs) Uh, uh, To start out roles, unfortunately, Um, and whoever's listening, I'm sorry for that, but I've had some, I think we talked about this, Michelle. I've had some yes. reviews where they were like, no raise, no bonus, have a good one. Like, get out of my office. And, you know, that's a little bit on me. I see Megan shaking her head. Yeah, I mean, that, that was that was on me, right? Like, I think it was whether it was the role or the or myself, I just wasn't there and I wasn't engaged. And then for people who are empaths, people who are sensitive, people who don't take criticism well, I, I mean, I want to lump myself in that, but I'm learning and growing. It's hard to hear that you're not doing a great job because probably like, you know, Ash will probably say in a second, when we're all little, everyone's telling us we're doing a great job. And, you know, that's kind of just the way things are unless you grew up really hard. But for a lot of people, you know, usually we were told we were doing a good job if we were doing a good job. But, you know, when you're not, it's kind of like something to, to, to be left to spoken to. So at this point in my career, I, I have to be a three, right, for my own mental health and for my own ability to rebound. Probably in my early career, I was in that one, I was just upset and wow, they're thinking about me and talking about me behind my back and, you know, this isn't going to work. And I would, I would get dejected and be like, well, time to start looking for a new job. And it would only be my first review. Right. So, you know, that might be again, an over overly sensitive response, but that's kind of something I had to learn over time. And it also is about toughening up and Hey, go in and do your job. Like people get so lost on like, it's, just, it's work. It's like, we're going to be here forever. Like we're going to be doing this. <laughs> and, and I'll tell all of you, that's why I quit. Like, that's why I left finance to go into comedy. I, I literally had a moment where I was 32 years old and I was like, I got to do this for the next 30 years of my life. And it gave me a panic attack. So I was like, wait a second. And I tell people, and I said that Michelle, if you quit a hunt, if you quit a six figure job, if you quit or leave or whatever, it's either the job or it's you, it's one of the two, or it might be both. Right. So yeah. It's, you got to do some soul searching, some reflections, some growth. And then if you can go back into it, you can go back into it. Ash, how about you? I went with a three. And I think mostly because I think it's also the older thing. As you get older, you start to mm-hmm. be less. Um, I think I remember like early in my career where I would, 
I would probably get defensive. I wouldn't wonder all night because I would just go out and party and forget about that incident. So it, it wouldn't be there um, anymore. <laughs> um, but, um, and, you know, and, 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 you know, it does unmotivate you. So, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that I've learned in leadership roles is that you have to be really considerate about people, right? And you have to like, yeah. care about their feelings. Um, and that's part of what I was saying early on, which was that, as leaders, it is your responsibility to figure out everybody's strengths. And a performance should not be the place where people discover their strengths and weaknesses. You should know what's going to happen on that day, right? Regardless. So it shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't come at you from, from left field. If it does, then your manager is not doing their job very well, in my humble opinion. It's a con- consistent growth throughout the year or through the quarter or through the month, whatever you're measuring, the time period. Because I've always wanted people to know what they're good at and help them figure out how to get better at it or work on the weaknesses. I've always thought that that's how I want to be treated too, right? Because if you give that, then you should get that, right? So, yeah. and no matter what your role is in the company, you always have a boss and they're always going to try to tell you what you, how you're doing. So how to improve. Yeah. yeah. Megan, how about you? Yeah, I think uh, similar to what Ash was saying in terms of just growing, getting older, your perspective changes. I definitely was a two for most of my early career. Um, I would listen because I'm just a curious person, but I definitely would feel unmotivated and disconnected and, and want to just you know walk away. I think we talked about this, Michelle, a recovering perfectionist. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of constructive feedback just really hit really hard for me anytime I would receive it. Um, and, and I definitely felt unmotivated, especially if it wasn't given, gosh, like if it was a surprise to your point, if it wasn't given to me throughout the time and it was just sort of a, a slap in the face kind of surprise. But I think over time I've grown, like I said, my perspective has changed. I have a family now. Work is something that pays the bills and I care a lot about it, but life is is so much more important as a whole. And so if I get constructive feedback, I realize it's something I need to consume and apply so that I can be better at my job and help my team and be more supportive to them. But at the end of the day, it's just a job, right? I don't let it crush me like it used to when I was younger. Good stuff. How about you, Lisa? So I I think I've always been a three. I've always really, I think some of that comes from, you know, there's always something that I can can do to improve. But what's interesting, what Ash said about, I I do agree that a a review should not be a surprise. However, we just had a unique experience um, where I work now. What they do is you do get a review from your boss, but you also get similar to a 360. You are required to get feedback from your peers. And sometimes in that, there are some things in there that surprised me. But again, like everybody said, if that's how they're experiencing me, then there's something in there that I need to just look at. And so, you know, like Mm. Megan said, it doesn't need to crush me, but it is something I need to consider and then move forward from that. I was having a conversation with somebody, what's the truth and what's true, where the difference lies in that. What's true for you could be perception. And the truth is the facts, you know, water's wet, there is gravity. Those are true facts you can't really argue with. But sometimes people's truth is really their opinion. And it's just so embedded that that's the only way they believe it to be. I had some feedback once long time ago, and it wasn't really a review. It was how I found out I was going to have a new boss. I was reporting directly to the president of the company at the time. And he sat me down. He goes, well, you have a new boss. And I thought he was leaving. And it was, he was bringing in somebody else. 
And he says, you know, you're doing a great job, but, you know, there was that but. And he said, I just don't have time to mentor you. And I thought, okay, this is, this is new territory for me. 27 years with the company, so it was time to leave. <laughs> so that's what I did. I mean, if you don't have time to mentor me, where else am I going? How much more can I learn? I never really got bad feedback, but I definitely got some one-liners that could definitely rocked me. Any last words from anyone? Just to add, Michelle, thank you so much for this opportunity. You know, you are a, uh, you know, a blessing to have met, you know, in the last month or so. And oh, thank you. You, know, you just really keep pushing and doing what you're doing, right? You're, you're changing people's lives. And we really appreciate you letting us take the time to, to speak today. I thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And Megan, any last words mm-hmm. from you? Just, I fully agree with Keith. Just really appreciative that you reached out and pushed me out of my comfort limits to do my first yes. podcast. I had yes. such a fun time. Now I feel comfortable to do it again. So, yes, yeah, absolutely. Just thank you. Absolutely. Really my, one of my favorite lines today is be uncomfortable and do it anyway. The same body feelings or emotions that you, physical uh, reactions that you have with fear is the same that you have with excitement. So yeah. why not take Turn it, into and make excitement. it into excitement? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. Ash? You and I um, have, I think we talk almost on a daily basis, if not at least every other day, I feel. Yeah. And, you know, we've had a, we've de- developed a really strong friendship and also created new opportunities, um, you know, along the way um, in the last one year. Um, yes, I think we've done absolutely. a lot of good school stuff together. So I think cool. this is just the, the next uh, stage and the next front, right? So yep. appreciate everything. And thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you. And Lisa, how about you? Any last words? I am so fortunate to know you, you know, I always say this to you, you are not your mom, but boy, I am so appreciative of her and her having you and having you in my life. Um, and then introducing me to all these wonderful people. So I am just tickled by the whole thing and thank you for everything. Oh, that is awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for all your participation and please all connect on LinkedIn, you know, new family, friends, members, and network away. So thank you all. Have a great evening. Thanks all. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. This concludes the final episode of this series. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. I hope that by the end of the series, you will have gained some new insights to explore. There is always a different point of view, even if the subject or situation may be similar. Being open to learning from others can be empowering. Here are some highlights. Perfection is overrated. It's okay to be quiet. Lifelines can show up when you least expect it. And why not think of it as you were chosen? Thank you again for listening. We'll be back soon with a brand new episode of the Heart Inspired Podcast. Until then, this is Michelle Delgado. And don't forget to lean in, be heard, and be inspired. This podcast was created by Heartmetrics Consulting, editing and co-produced by David Castle Productions, and co-distributed by Business Travel 360. For more information about Heartmetrics Consulting, visit us at heartmetrics.com.